Once again, good morning and welcome to Redemption Parker Online. My name is Mark. I'm one of the pastors here. It is my privilege and joy to celebrate with you. Christ is risen. I hope some of you said he is risen indeed. If you're just visiting, welcome. So glad you could join us online this morning. We're going to turn our attention to the gospel, to the good news of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection this morning in John chapter 20. If you have a Bible, you can begin to work your way there. I I was initially kind of disappointed that we would not gather on this day of all days and get our taco truck and our our, uh, party in the park, all the things that we love to do uh, on Easter Sunday, all that being taken away. I was disappointed, but then I remembered it's just like God to do exceedingly abundantly more than I can think or imagine. And I believe that is in fact what he's doing in the world today. I believe he is doing a rescuing, redeeming, restoring, healing, renewing work all across the globe right now. And even right now in those that are watching this video. And so I think forever and ever, we're going to just hear stories of people that said, uh, during COVID-19, God lifted my eyes and pointed me to Jesus. And I saw his sacrifice in my place for my sin. And I saw him rescued and redeemed uh, out of the grave and and rescuing and redeeming me. And forever I am changed. I believe God's going to do that. And and it would be just like God to not need our, our, our buildings, our sound machines, our fog machines, our lasers, whatever your church's thing is. God doesn't need any of that to accomplish his good purposes in the world and in your life this morning. So I'm excited. I'm excited about what God is doing even right now in your thoughts, in your mind, in your spirit. A few years ago, I was talking with my youngest daughter and we were talking about her, her taste in movies. And she, she was kind of lamenting that how all movies kind of have the same kind of narrative arc. And she, she just she, she wanted a movie that was all good. And I said, explain to me what, what that would look like. She's like, you know, just sunshine and, and flowers and puppies and there, no conflict and everyone gets along. And then the movie just ends that way. At first I was thinking, that sounds like a terrible movie. And so I just said, hey, well, uh, you know, you know it's, it's the conflict and the, the struggles that kind of make a story interesting. And she's like, nah, not for me. I just want it all good. (laughs) Nevertheless, the world God has created, he is telling a story. There's a billion stories and every person has a story, but but all the stories fall under the umbrella of the grand story of God. And the invitation of, of Easter, the invitation of the resurrection this morning is for you to find your place in the story. It follows that narrative arc that, that he created the world and it was good. And then our first parents, Adam and Eve, and everyone since, and you and I included, have rebelled against that goodness and have done life our own way and have struggled. Is someone there? Who turned on the light? Hey, sorry, stop. I forgot. <laughs> I'm so sorry. That's so distracting. Okay. Oh my gosh. You were preaching? I was. I'll try I'm again. I'm so sorry. It's all right. Okay, <laughs> it's all right. I was into it. <laughs> I'll try one more time. All right. Here we go. Now, what the heck was that? I'm going to check the time. We're five minutes into it. Okay. Let's try one more time. 
Well, once again, good morning. Welcome to Redemption Parker Online. Christ is risen. I hope some of you said, He is risen indeed. Welcome. With you, I was a little disappointed, a lot disappointed, when I realized early on that we wouldn't be able to do our Easter thing, where we wouldn't be able to gather together as a faith family and then celebrate at the park afterwards and eat tacos from the food truck and all the wonderful things that we've had in our life and our celebration. I was disappointed. But then it dawned on me and made me smile. God delights to do exceedingly, abundantly more than we could ever think or imagine And it would be just like God to do an amazing work of God in our world and in our church and in our lives and in our homes in this moment of all moments. I believe forever and ever, we're going to gather with the saints before the throne and we're going to hear stories of people uh, being rescued and redeemed and finding life in Christ during COVID-19. And I I pray that that's for some of you and I pray for all of us that 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 would just renew our hearts and our minds to that truth this day and that God would accomplish his good purposes in us and through us in this world. So if you have your Bible, and I hope I do, I hope you do, that I do have my Bible. I hope you do. Uh, you can turn to the Gospel of John, John chapter 20. We're going to enter into the story. A few years ago, I was talking to my youngest daughter, and she was kind of lamenting just the movies that, that were available to her at that time. And I said, well, Hannah, describe to me the kind of ideal movie that you, that, that you would make. And she was like, well... It would be all good. It would be sunshine and, and flowers and, and puppies and uh, everyone would get along and, and people would fall in love and there would be no conflict there. And then at the end of the movie, it just everyone ends well. <laughs> and I'm thinking in my head, that sounds like a terrible movie. <laughs> because here's the thing. God in his divine providence is telling a story. And every good story has struggle. It has conflict. It has brokenness. There there is death and, and there is a longing for renewal and rescue and redemption and healing. And, and God is telling a story. And, and each one of us, 7 billion people on the planet have a story. But, but they only find their place when they find their place in his story. And the story of Easter is an opportunity, an invitation by God to find our place in his story. Oh, it's a grand story. God created the universe by the word of his mouth, and it was good, and it was right. But then our first parents and everyone else after them, you and me included, rebelled against that God. And sin entered into the world, brokenness, suffering, shame, all of it. God was not done. He is the master storyteller and nothing can derail his story. So into the darkness, into the brokenness, he began to make promises to his people. And he says, this is going to be rescued. This is going to be redeemed. I'm going to send my son. And he sent his son and he lived a life that you and I could never live. He taught and he did miracles and he was betrayed and he suffered. He was beaten. He was mocked. And on Friday night, we observed all that, that on the cross, he bore the weight of our sin and our shame. And he died 
in our place for our sin. But praise be to God. That's not the end of the story. By the power of God on the third day, he rose again to give us life forevermore. And that is good news. That is the grand story. And the invitation again is for us to find our place in the story. You know, good news though is only good news if you know it. Like good news out there and not in here is not good news. So for example, hypothetically speaking, let's just say you you were struggling. You're struggling, say, financially. And and you just couldn't quite get by. And you you were paycheck to paycheck. And you were just striving and struggling. And and it never seemed like enough. And there was stress. And there there was worry and anxiety and all those things. And then someone comes along and says, hey, you you didn't know about your rich uncle? You, You didn't know you had a rich uncle? Yeah, he was super wealthy. He passed away a few years ago, but he, he left billions in your name. In that moment, that would be incredibly good news for your circumstances and situation. But only if you knew it. I mean, it was legally in your account, but only till you know it and behold it does it become good news. This is true of the gospel. See, on that first Sunday morning, when Christ conquered death in the grave, good news exploded onto the planet. But even his disciples, the closest ones to him, did not know it. They should have known it. He told them what was going to happen. They even heard, uh, we'll see in the story, from Mary Magdalene that, that, that she saw him uh, alive, but it hadn't landed home. And because it hadn't landed home, these people who had left everything to follow Jesus, family, businesses, everything, reputation, believing that he was the anointed one, that he was the Messiah, they were crushed I mean, their fear, their anxiety, some of you are experiencing some of that. None of us are experiencing what they were experiencing in that moment. Not only were they crushed to see their their best friend, what they believe was their Lord and Savior, dead. They were terrified for their own lives. Because in those days, if someone leads a revolt, not only is the leader put to death on a cross, all the followers are gathered up and they face the same. So they're terrified. They need good news in this moment. So if you have your Bible, turn with me to John chapter 20. We'll pick the story up in verse 19. At this point, uh, John and Peter have have gone to the tomb. They've seen that it's empty. Uh, Mary stays back behind and and she has the, the first encounter with the resurrected Jesus. And she goes back in verse 18 and she says, I have seen the Lord. She tells them, but they don't believe her. And we pick it up in verse 19. On the evening of, the fir- of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews. You have to just try to imagine the anxiety, the fear. Man, are we going to be tortured? Are we going to go to a cross like Jesus was on the cross? I mean, everything, just the waves of, of terror and sadness are, are flooding over them in this moment. It's into this moment that Jesus enters. And it's into this moment right now, right where you're at, that Jesus is entering in. Look what Jesus does to change everything. Jesus came and stood among them 
and said to them. Jesus was there. Oh, the doors were locked, but, but, but Jesus was there. Just in an instant, Jesus shows up. And he's, he's not a ghost. He's, he's flesh and bones. He's going to show them that. He is alive, and he is alive more than ever. And he is there. The first thing that you need to know about the resurrection is Jesus has fulfilled all the promise. The main promise of God to his people is, I will be your God, and you will be my people, and I will be with you. Jesus is with them. And Jesus is with you. He stands among us in the midst of this. And Jesus is so kind. Look at what he says. Peace be with you. He intends his presence to bring you peace. That that word peace, shalom. That's that inner, inner sense of deep contentment, satisfaction, rest, hope, joy. Peace be with you. This is Jesus' first words to his disciples when he comes back. He wants to give you his presence, and through his presence, he wants to give you peace this morning. It goes on. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I love the understatement of the Bible. (laughs) Then the disciples were glad. No, no, they were explosively glad. They they probably couldn't even contain their joy in that moment. Rabboni, you are alive. We thought you were dead. You're alive and you're standing amongst us. And and you you show us your nail-scarred hands and your side. You're alive. They are exceedingly glad. They are explosively glad. Good news has landed on them. Jesus wants that good news to land on you this morning, no matter where you're at. He is alive, he is present, and he brings his peace. Oh man, we need his peace. Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. So he gives his presence, he gives his peace, and and after we receive that kind of peace, he gives us a purpose. He says, as the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. The, the amazing thing about life in Christ isn't just that you get to go to heaven when you die. That, that he has rescued and redeemed you and, and he knows you and you get to know him. That, but that he has uh, built into knowing him a purpose to know him and to make him known in the world. So no matter where you're at, no matter what your job is, no matter what life station you're at, your purpose is to know him and to make him known. And through our feeble attempts and our our kind of half-hearted way, even in that, he's going to use your life to make him known. He's going to send you out. But if you're going to be sent out with that kind of purpose, you and I are going to need power. Look what it says. When he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, now, this is just kind of John's shorthand way of saying, oh, you're going to get some power. That power is going to come from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is going to take up residence in your life. And he's going to help you walk in love and peace and knowledge of who God is and to make him known in the world. So you got his presence. You got his peace. You got his purpose. And you got his power. And this good news is great news. It's the best news the world has ever heard. And we need to get it out there. So as the story continues, there was one disciple who wasn't there. 
Look at verse 24. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. Now, if you have any background in church at all, you, you know Thomas as doubting Thomas. Because he's about to be like, what are you talking about, Willis? You know, like, what? That, 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 that's not possible. That doesn't happen. And Thomas gets a, uh, a bad rap. He's doubting Thomas. But, but Mary Magdalene has said the exact same things and seen the exact same things that they saw. And when she comes to them and tells them they don't believe it, it's all the disciples are doubting. I mean, which is kind of, just kind of reassuring to me. I mean, if the disciples can have doubt and yet Jesus is still going to meet them and love them and woo them and, and, and just show them his presence and power and purpose, I mean, how much more for you and for me? This is what he does. Look at what Thomas says. He says, uh, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. He's just like, no, I'm only going to believe when I see the resurrected Lord. And I know it's him because he's got nail scars in his hands and his side. Then then I'll do it. So he's got a very, very high bar. And I I just love the mercy of Jesus. And just the patience and, and just the truth of this passage that Jesus meets us where we're at. It's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet you where you're at, wherever you're at. Jesus knows what you need to see him and savor him. He knows more than you know, even more than Thomas knows. We'll, we'll see as the story continues. Thomas thinks, I have to touch and, feel the, touch and feel his wounds. Verse 26, eight days later, eight days later, his disciples were inside again. And Thomas was with them, although the doors were locked. Let me just stop right there for a moment. So this is eight days later. By all accounts, the first encounter, Jesus is only with them maybe a few minutes. And so while they're explosively happy about that, they can't believe their eyes, they don't hear from him or see him again for eight days. And I wonder, I wonder what that was like for them. I wonder how, how long the, the high lasted. And then how, how often did they have to kind of just check in with each other? Like, did, did, we, did, we, re- did we really see him? Yeah, yeah, we saw him. I mean, the other gospels say, he ate fish with us. Yeah, we did. And they're just kind of checking in. But, but even still, there's still the threat of the authorities. There's still the threat of death and suffering and loss. And so once again, they're in a room and the doors are locked. But this time Thomas is with them. It says, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came, stood among them, same thing, stood among them. So he brought his presence among them and said the same thing. Peace be with you. I mean, this just had to land with such grace in their lives. I mean, for Peter, who had denied Jesus three times, for the first words out of Christ's lips to him were, is peace be with you? For, for Thomas, who was like, I'm never going to believe unless I can touch the nail scars on the side, then, then I'll believe. And the first words are, our peace be with you. I mean, do, do, you, do, you, do you hear the patience in the voice of the Lord? Do you hear the grace in his voice? And that same voice is, is to you and to me. He's patient with us. 
says, peace be with you, verse 27. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here and see my hands and put your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. He says, all right, Thomas, is that what you need? Do you need to see the nail scars? Do you need to touch them? He offers, he meets Thomas where he's at, but, but notice Thomas's response, verse 28. There's no indication that he actually touches the side or the nail scars in the wrist. Look at what Thomas says. Thomas answered, my Lord and my God. In that instant, this, this first century, fiercely monotheistic Jew just sees in Jesus the divinity of Jesus. He says, I don't, I don't need to touch it. I don't need to feel it. Jesus, you are my Lord and you are my God. He, he, he obeys Jesus' command. He stops disbelieving and he believes. And everything changes for Thomas for the rest of his life. He's found new life in Christ. My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, you have believed because you have seen me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus knows whatever you need to see and believe. He knows more than you know. And I believe right now, for some of you, he is, he is just calling you to, to examine his life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection, and to stop disbelieving and to believe. These disciples, they would have their life radically turned upside down from this point. The Holy Spirit would come and empower their lives. It didn't mean they didn't struggle. It didn't mean that they never had doubts. It didn't mean that they, they didn't uh, waver in their faith or, or, or not walk uprightly. Uh, they struggled with all of that like you and I do, but they had a, a peace and a purpose and a power in their life that came because of the resurrection. And one of those guys was the name of John, of the Apostle John. And John writes this story and he tells us in the very next verse, the very explicit reason why he wrote this story, empowered by the Holy Spirit. He says this, Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these, these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And that by believing, you may have life in his name. Now, when the Bible uses the word believe, the word is pisteo in Greek. It means trusting. When, when you place your trust in Jesus and say, Jesus, I believe that you live for me. More than that, I believe you died for me. More than that, I believe you rose again so that I can have life in you forever. This is what it means to believe. And that's the invitation on the table. But, but there's, there's one thing that is going to resound with this good news forever and ever. Did you, you may have noticed it in the verses. In both cases, Jesus holds out his arms and shows the disciples his wounds. He shows them his side. He shows them the, the holes in his wrists. Why is that? I believe Jesus will be the only person in eternity that has any kind of disfigurement of his body. I believe Jesus keeps those wounds in his wrists and his side and his ankles forever and ever and ever so that you and I will always be able to see his great love for us. And when we doubt and when we wonder, when we wonder, does God really love me? Jesus is saying, hey, do you really want to know that? Look at my wrists. Look at my side. Yes, I love you. 
And I've proven my love for you. And so friends, I would just invite you to consider Jesus. If you've never trusted in Jesus, let today be the day that you find new life. We we would love to come alongside you and, and walk with you into that new journey of life with him forever. Would you just let us know, send us an email or, or some way, send me a text that, that just lets me know that, that you've made that kind of decision. For the rest of us, in this time when the world is so freaking out and there's so much fear and so much anxiety and much of it we share ourselves, let us just remind ourselves that God is accomplishing his good purposes and he is going to do a good work in our lives, even or especially in this time. Because Jesus has proved it with his life, death, burial, and resurrection. To that end, let me pray for us and let me thank God. So Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Lord, I pray for those that are hearing this uh, and they, they are hearing a voice other than my voice. They are hearing your voice through the proclamation of your gospel and that by grace through faith, they would turn from their sin and turn to you and that you would give them new life. Lord, for those of us that have experienced that, thank you for the reminder Lord, we need that reminder daily of your great love for us. And Jesus, I thank you for the reminder forever that we'll be able to see in your wrists and in your side and in your ankles of your love for us on the cross. And thank you that you rose again, that we might rise with you forever. It's in Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen.